You're now listening to the Real Estate CPA Podcast. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here, we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. Today we're joined with Justin Shore. He's a senior advisor here at the Real Estate CPA, and he has experience working as an accounting manager at a real estate investment trust, as well as running his own firm where he provided accounting and tax services to an array of clients, including real estate investors. Justin's also a real estate investor himself, but I'll let him tell you more about that as we get into the interview. If you haven't already, go ahead and check out the Tax Smart Investor community on Facebook. You could find that by going to www.facebook.com slash groups slash tax smart investors, or by searching for tax smart investors on Facebook. And you could join that community. There's a ton of great conversations taking place right now. And we'll be doing a special webinar for tax smart subscribers on October 6th about the Biden tax changes. You could learn more about becoming a tax smart investor by going to www.taxsmartinvestors.com. But that's enough for now. We're going to go ahead and dive right into today's episode. Justin, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Would you be able to give our listeners some more information on your background? Yeah, absolutely. I'm super excited to be here. I appreciate you having me. Um, so yeah, I, I uh, live in Springfield, Missouri, which is in the kind of Southwest sort of corridor. Uh, I moved here years ago to uh, pursue an accounting degree at Missouri State University and after that, I spent a little bit of time working for, there's a couple of Fortune 500 companies that have their headquarters here in Springfield. Um, so kind of got, got my fill working for the really large, uh, you know, corporate kind of environment, but I'd always had a really strong um, interest in real estate. And a few years ago, I had the opportunity to uh, manage the accounting department at a uh, real estate investment trust, what more commonly referred to as a, as a REIT. Um, and, and for those listening who aren't very familiar with REITs, uh, they're basically an investment vehicle that allows for a larger number of investors to be uh, kind of pooled together because uh, it allows them to buy shares in real estate while remaining 100% passive. Uh, and there's a lot of tax deferral benefits to REITs that make it more possible for uh, members to execute 1031 exchanges into the partnership essentially through a manner of like ticks and 721 exchanges as well. Um, which is a process more commonly referred to as upreads, if you've ever seen that one thrown around out there. Um, but it was fantastic uh, experience getting to work there. And I was able to kind of rub shoulders with a bunch of other real estate professionals um, you know, in that, that had founded the REIT and kind of absorb a lot of knowledge um, about the real estate industry. And uh, while I was working there, it's really what kind of uh, just made, made me uh, have the, a bigger itch to scratch of, uh, for real estate. Um, so that was around about the time when I finally decided to go ahead and purchase my, my first rental property was while I was there, um, because I was surrounded by a lot of people that were doing exactly that. Uh, and ever since then we've, uh, acquired a, a property or two each year, uh, to kind of build out our portfolio a little bit as well. And then from there, uh, after the, uh, the REIT went through a merger with another larger REIT that I assisted through the process of. Um, I decided to go into public accounting and co-founded a, a firm here in the local area. And we mostly worked with kind of small to mid-sized businesses. Uh, so I worked with a lot of different, you know, a lot of different areas of tax and 
um, and consulting, but uh, I always had that big pull kind of pulling me back to real estate. So over the years there, I worked more and more with focusing on uh, advising clients on how to use real estate and, you know, to be able to harvest all of the tax benefits, as well as the wealth building strategies um, that a lot of you're familiar with. Um, so uh, that that was uh, really great, uh, being able to spend time in that kind of public space and working face to face with clients to really provide them with those tax solutions and things. Um, and then from there, uh, after, you know, my partners and I had some differing ideas on which directions to take the firm. I went ahead and uh, separated from that engagement and worked with a company that consulted primarily with physicians to help them build ambulatory surgery centers and operate them and manage them all over the country. Um, and now, uh, just recently, I've joined the guys here at the Real Estate CPA uh, because, and I'm super excited to be able to do that because it's circling back to where my my main passion is, which is real estate and tax planning. Awesome, awesome. So definitely want to dive into a little bit about your professional experiencing helping real estate investors as well as your investing experience as well. So let's let's just kind of like just start off with the investor side. Um, so. I know. I noticed you said that you had a handful of rental properties. Kind of, what does your portfolio look like today? Uh, today we have uh, a duplex, and we have uh, five other single-family rentals that are kind of spread around our local market. Nice, nice. And um, with when it comes to to those those properties, uh, have you ever had any uh, any any struggles or success stories you would you would want to share with the audience about operating? You know. Um, a portfolio of about seven or so properties? Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I would say uh, initially, I think I went through what a lot a lot of investors um, run into when they're first starting out too, is figuring out, should I hire a property management company or not? Um, and, you know, when we just had our first two or three, I was self-managing, trying to kind of, you know, save a little bit of money and things like that. Um, and the, the first instance where I finally kind of that breaking point and said, okay, it's time to hire a property manager was when I was on vacation um, in Colorado. I was uh, snow skiing and I literally had my gloves uh, off and shoved underneath my armpit. I was standing on the side of the mountain making phone calls to local plumbers uh, because it was around Christmas time. And one of my tenants had called and said that their water heater had gone out. Uh, so that was the, the first time where I kind of threw my hands up in the air and said, OK, we're going <laughs> to we need to do something about this. Um, and, and we were looking at acquiring more units, so that kind of made sense. And then we dealt with a lot of the issues I think people were um, experiencing, la you know, last year with COVID and whatnot. And we decided to go ahead and take management in house, in house again, and do it here ourselves. Um, largely because uh, our littles are in school now, and we've got a little bit more time. And so I've actually been tasking my wife with a lot of the property management duties. Um, so I can focus on uh, on the tax advising side of things. But yeah, we, we certainly ha had our uh, fair share of ups and downs with the rentals, but probably the most no notable one um, is uh, we have a duplex that was my first big uh, burr property. And I, I was not very confident about going into that because I'm not great on like the kind of improvement repair side of things as much as uh, with some people that are really great at that. Uh, I, I wish I was better at that, but <laughs> um, we went ahead and decided to, to purchase it because it was a, it was a great off-market deal um, that another investor had, had thrown my way. And uh, the tenants were on a month-to-month -month leases, so we told them, we'll give you a couple months, but we want to renovate and improve this property, so we need you guys to go ahead and vacate. 
Um, and apparently um, the sons of one of the tenants on the one side of the duplex were very upset with that determination. And um, a couple days after they moved out, one of them came back in the middle of the night and actually threw a Molotov cocktail in through the back window of the duplex uh, in an attempt to burn it down. Um, luckily, one of the neighbors actually saw them do it. Uh, so we were we, we were in the clear as far as the um, fire marshal not thinking that we <laughs> um, or anything like that. So that was a pretty wild experience. And it was also a good testament to how important it is to have good insurance. And <laughs> it's one of those relationships that uh, you definitely want to cultivate as a real estate investor. Um, you know, I, I definitely think that your tax advisor is really high up there, but then uh, cl close seconds going to going to be uh, get to know uh, your, your insurance broker very, very well and, and ask them a lot of questions, just like you ask us a lot of questions. Um, so that was pretty crazy. Luckily, uh, things ended up working out fairly well because we were planning on renovating it anyways, and we were able to use a lot of insurance proceeds to be able to fund a little bit extra uh, project type items on that when we put it all back together. So that was crazy, but fun. Yeah, definitely an interesting experience. Like it's one of those nightmare experiences that people have. And it, you know, it's funny when you, when you, on the property management side, you know, another experience I think people, you know, are always dread is, you know, it's the, it's the toilets at 2 p 2 AM in the morning, someone's calling and asking for a plumber for you. You were on a vacation trying to have a good time. You're on the mountain, you know, skiing. And, uh, you know, you have you, in meanwhile, you have to stop what you're doing. You take and start calling plumbers. Um, trying to put out those, you know, those fires, if you will, um, for your tenants. Um, when you did get property management, how did your experience with property management go? Because I know you said you took it back in house, but while you had property management, was did, did it work out all right? Or you know, is there any tips you could share there, um, given your experience, you know, using third party property management? Yeah, it, it went it went pretty well. I'd, I actually had known the person who uh, ran the property management company uh, from from earlier years when I was working at the Reed as well. So I kind of built a little bit of a professional relationship with her um, prior to engaging their services. Um, but I think that being able to set um, really uh, knowing what you want, setting clear expectations of the property manager went a long ways um, as far as being able to figure out what kind of deliverables that we could get from them. Because uh, I'm a very detail-oriented person, being an accountant, um, so I wanted to know that I could get all the information uh, from their uh, property management statements that I could. Um, I was also very familiar with the software that they were using, so I kind of had a lot of you know, questions about uh, how they were inputting data, how it was going to come back out to me, uh, because I wanted to know how am I going to be able to integrate that into my uh, financial reporting that I was generating out of QuickBooks to be able to still get the kind of information that I always had had when I was self-managing the properties too. So I think just asking the property manager, you know, when can I expect to get uh, statements from you guys each month? If there's a large uh, repair expenditure that comes up, um, what's the dollar amount threshold that'll kind of come up before you call me and say, hey, are you okay with this, you know, $1,500 repair? Um, or would you prefer to go, you know, cheaper route, Band-Aid, temporary kind of fix type of thing, you know, stuff like that. So, and they, they were really good about that, of being able to tell me, okay, we have this large expense this month, we, but we think it's necessary because of X, Y, and Z reasons or something like that. So okay. I think that, that helps a lot. Got it. Got it. Interesting. So I, I do have a few follow-up questions there. Um, first one is what, uh, what, what software were they using? You know, what property management software? Uh, they were using Appfolio. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, a lot of our, you know, we, we have a lot of clients use that folio buildium. Um, and you know, w- one of the things that uh, one of the one of the things that some of our clients, some of the people we talk to, some of the investors, is uh, there's a disconnect between what you know the property manager is doing um, versus you know in, in terms of accounting and the reports you get from the property manager versus how it connects to the you know to to what you do as you know, to what like uh, an investor needs. To have ready for tax, you know, tax filing to make tax filing a very seamless process. Would you be able to kind of, uh, kind of discuss a little bit about what the property manager does versus what is needed to kind of bring it all together? Yeah, absolutely. So the property manager largely, you know, is is handling the the day to day activity at the properties, um, but and really that, but they're completely outside of you know what's kind of more like on the investor side. So. You know, things like uh, repairs and maintenance expenses, collecting the rents, collecting the security deposits, um, you know, and potentially refunding portions of security deposits when you have move outs and things like that. Um, and of course, charging like their leasing fees and their management fees, all those types of things are going to be present on the property management statement. But effectively, everything that, you know, that I'm doing as, as the investor um, that's outside of managing of a property um, is going to all be housed on, you know, on my system, whether it's uh, spreadsheets or um, an accounting software or something like, uh, like, you know, uh, Stessa or QuickBooks. Um, and those are going to be things like, um, you know, paying for the, the property insurance, the property taxes, all of the mortgage payments, um, any of the other types of cash flow that's happening outside of property management, like for having you know, owner contributions or anything like that that are coming into uh, the property bank account to fund new acquisitions or capital projects, things of that nature. Um, so yeah, the challenge sometimes becomes marrying those those two systems together of what the property management side of the story is with the investor side. Yeah, I got. It. So what I'm hearing is is that property management statements is not the is not the end of the line in terms of bookkeeping and accounting. There's another step, another layer that investors have to go through. Exactly. Yeah. It, what I I'll always tell my clients in the past is it's you know maybe a little more than half the story, but it's not everything that's going on with you know with with your company books by means. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, we here at the Real Estate CPA, we do have a service where we can help you uh, for anybody who's listening, if you're ever interested, help you uh, kind of set up a QuickBooks online account, kind of bridge the gap between what your accountant's providing you, uh, excuse me, not your accountant, your property manager's providing you and what you'll ultimately need to get the full picture of your of your rental portfolio, as well as uh, kind of make tax, streamline tax filing for you having tax-ready financials. Uh, so if you're ever interested in something like that, you can go ahead and explore the real estate web real estate CPA website to get additional details. Um, but, you know, kind of going back along the lines of property management, um, what made you take it back in-house again? Um, you know, uh, during uh, the COVID outbreak, you know, things kind of shuttered a little bit, I think, you know, here and there for everybody. And, you know, we, all of our lenders were actually really, um, really helpful at working with us. And, and as far as like figuring out, you know, if we could do any kind of, um, you know, abatements or delays or extensions and things like that on our loans and whatnot. Um, but it seems to me that I think the it made sense probably that the property manager was overwhelmed a little bit with all of the additional workload that was coming up um, because of because of COVID. There was just way more, I think, probably resident contact and things like that going on um, because they were trying to figure out how do we manage all these, you know, 
collection type situations and stuff like that. So, um, uh, and, and we had we had a handful of tenants like during that time period that um, that weren't paying. And um, so it, it was kind of a, a two pronged part where, you know, we just wanted to get better eyes and ears um, on what was going on at the property level to make sure that uh, that, that we were just apprised of everything in real time of what was going on. Um, but also we started to become a little bit concerned with just the actual, um, you know, the resident experience too. Um, you know, if they were getting longer and longer delays on things like maintenance calls and stuff like that, we felt like that was going to kind of start chipping away at kind of our, our residents morale and um, which of course is going to make them want to move, which causes more turns and more expenses and things like that. So um, we decided to kind of, you know, take charge of that situation and control it a little bit more. Um, and then also um, with, with our uh, littles getting a little bit bigger and being in school, um, my wife had a lot more time to be able to handle some of the property management activities. And, and that's been something that we've talked a lot about as far as like getting her more involved with our real estate holdings since since my full-time, um, you know, gig is being a, a tax advisor, um, she's got a little bit more capability as far as being able to put in substantial hours into real estate to be able to potentially hit uh, real estate professional status at some point down the road. So we figured it'd be good to at least start dipping her toe in the water a little bit with it now instead of plunging her into it uh, all at once a few years down the road. I right, This is a natural segue because the next question would be what were the strategies you use to minimize your portfolio? So kind of uh, you know, we, we, everybody knows, listens to this podcast, the real estate professional status allows you to take losses from your rental properties essentially, and, uh, take them against your W2 income or your other active business income that you may have. Um, so I'm curious just to know from your, your, your perspective, you know, with your current portfolio, I think it's about seven units. You mentioned how far, how close would your wife be? You know, how is she close is she currently? And how far do you, do you think you have to go in terms of the size of your portfolio to actually achieve you know, the real estate professional status? You know, um, I, I think with that we would have to more than double the size of our portfolio, just kind of roughly based off of how much time that's not investor hours that we're spending on actual property management. And it certainly ebbs and flows depending on the types of tenants that, that we have had. But since we disposed of a few units this year, um, we, we definitely need to add some more back into it. However, um, my wife's expressed more interest in um, looking at more like burr properties and being able to get more hands-on involvement with, um, you know, doing some value add types, types of properties, which is something I, I have always wanted to engage more fully, um, but I've just never had the time myself, whereas she's got more time on her hands to be able to handle that, which is killing two birds with one stone of her being able to do something that she would probably enjoy more, but still be in real estate. And we'd be able to rack up quite a, well, she'd be able to rack up quite a bit more hours um, if we were doing like a couple of those big value add projects during the year. So I think Got that's it. that's probably how we would probably try to shortcut uh, getting to that, getting to that point a little bit quicker. Got it. Got it. So it's, it kind of sounds like these, you know, once the properties are rented out pretty steady, there's not that much that goes into it necessarily, or there's not enough that goes into it to be able to achieve the real estate professional status. But kind of by taking on these more heavy, these heavy, the more intensive value-added projects where there's a lot more involvement that needs to go on that could, that could potentially kind of move the needle and put and, and help her meet those requirements to become a real estate professional. 
Exactly. It's it's almost a double-edged sword where you think, oh, I need more hours, but I don't want my tenants to be calling me with problems that I need to go to the properties for. So <laughs> we can definitely control it more. Yeah, make it happen with, with purchasing value-add properties. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you know, becoming a real estate professional, we, we always have conversations with our clients about this. Isn't the, isn't, e isn't the easiest thing in the world to do because, you know, you, part, part of you wants real estate to be passive. The other the other part is, okay, we want it to be active so we can get the real estate professional stats, kind of two things that are at odds with each other. Um, but good to hear that you have a, a few, uh, you know, good handle on, on your strategy and what you're going to do to achieve that. Um, for anybody who's listening, we, we, we went through an entire rep series uh, on prior episodes. Uh, it's reps episodes zero, one, two, and three. Uh, we did those uh, a few months back. Go ahead and check those out if you want a more, more full or understanding of the real estate professional status and what it takes to, to qualify. Um, you know, one thing you mentioned, uh, while you were talking was, uh, you, you had actually sold a few properties this year, uh, kind of want to get an idea of, uh, why, why you made a decision to sell those properties and why now? Yeah. Um, that we had a couple of reasons for that. Uh, several of our properties, um, were a, a pretty good distance away. Um, it, you know, a few of them would take us 45, 50 minutes to drive to, um, that were kind of on the far side of town. Um, so with, you know, transitioning to self-management, uh, if we had a small, um, you know, issue where we had to run over to one of the properties that only took five minutes, uh, for, for example, um, or last, last fall, I had a, a situation where the tenant said that, uh, something was leaking on one of the laundry lines or whatnot. Um, I learned a lesson from that of, Hey, send me a picture first before I drive all the way over there. Um, but I, I uh, drove all the way out and it took just a few turns with a set of pliers or whatnot to kind of tighten that down and then leave. So a three to four minute kind of fix ended up taking two hours out of my day just for that driving to and from. So we were looking to divest to some of those properties that were further away just so that we'd be able to acquire some that are closer by. So they're a little bit more reasonable to manage um, ourselves. And, and, you know, uh, also save, obviously, some of the uh, expenses involved with traveling that far to them. Um, but also, we have wanted to um, start kind of upgrading properties. In the past, we had always kind of been most, mostly in kind of class B, you know, lower class B kind of single family rentals and things. Um, but uh, we'd really like to shift a little bit more to uh, acquiring a little bit higher, you know, quality of units so that we can kind of focus more on, you know, fewer tenants, but closer, better relationships with the tenants um, and, and getting some more of those like long-term uh, renters. Because in my experience over the years that we, I think that initially most people are really worried about uh, is about vacancy of you know, what's going to happen if, if I have these units vacant, how much is that going to cost me? But um, I think, in my experience at least, your turn costs are way, way higher than just the vacancy itself. Um, so resident retention is a huge, huge priority of mine, which goes hand in hand with the, the resident kind of experience too with us as a, um, as a owner or manager. Um, and the other thing too, the other reason that we were looking to sell was just the market is exceptionally high. And I know it, it is everywhere. We really feel it, especially in our market. Um, and thought if there was any good time, uh, to dispose of a couple of properties that probably this, uh, this time frame was going to be best for that to reap some of the gains. So, um, because we weren't able to 1031 exchange those properties because the market was just so hot, um, everything was going within a couple of days around here. 
Um, we kind of knew, we anticipated that that was going to be an issue. Um, I was even going out and looking at um, auction properties to, uh, to try and, you know, make something like that work. But we kind of figured going into it, it was going to be really difficult to do. So the kind of backup plan uh, I was planning on deploying is, you know, we um, have tried to take advantage of the de minimis safe harbor uh, rule, which allows you to deduct, you know, expenses that are less than $25 um, on, you know, on any of these kinds of more, more significant repairs and improvements. Uh, use the term improvements kind of loosely there, but, um, you know, where it was like, okay, we've identified, you know, some of these appliances like refrigerators, we've had to have, you know, this one serviced a couple times in the last 18 months at this particular rental um, or stoves or things like that that were probably going out because we went ahead and purchased a few of those. Um, and I've also uh, thought about looking at how the numbers kind of flush out towards the end of the year uh, to decide whether or not we want to do any retroactive cost segregation studies on the remaining properties that we are holding um, in order to offset any of those gains and depreciation recapture we um, experienced on the ones that we sold. Nice, nice, nice. Uh, taking advantage of some of the strategies that are available to real estate investors. So yeah, I was going to ask you what your favorite strategies were to minimize taxes on your own portfolio. I mean, outside of outside of uh, the exit on some of these, is there anything else you use or are you particularly fond of uh, for your own portfolio? Um, you know, I, I would say but 1031 is always, always up there. Um, you know, any, any time that, that we have made a sale, that's always kind of the first go-to. Um, and then I look to some of these others uh, as, as a backup. Um, and, and I don't know if you necessarily consider it a strategy, but I'm just, I feel like I'm always bringing this up is uh, talking to folks about mileage, um, especially, you know, with the situation I was just talking about where so I was having to drive, you know, 45, 50 minutes one way. Um, just to get to a, a property to do a quick maintenance call or something like that. Um, I mean, so pairing that with the home office um, deduction, the home office deduction is not that significant, um, but being able to establish, you know, my tax home for the purposes of the recording mileage and stuff like that, um, that's huge. Uh, I mean, especially for, you know, if, if you're looking at a whole lot of uh, deals and stuff like that, um, or if you're an agent, uh, we know agents drive a ton um, I mean, that, that's always, as, as far as simplicity goes too, it's a very easy strategy to, you know, to execute, make sure you're not missing out on those deductions. That makes a ton of sense. So, you know, kind of shifting gears just a tad. So kind of what, with the, with your own clients you've worked with in the past who, who are real estate investors, uh, was there any particular strategies that you, know, you work with them on? Yeah, you know, um, it, in my local market, especially uh, the short-term rental strategy has has become huge, uh, especially if you're trying to couple it with you know a small portfolio of long-term rentals. Um, you know, if, if you're or in the sense of having like a failed 1031 exchange, um, and, and you're kind of grappling with uh, these these large gains that you're experiencing, you know, elsewhere in your portfolio. Uh, we have a, an area that's just about 30 minutes of the, the large, uh, Springfield's about third largest city in Missouri, but just south of us is a fairly large um, kind of tourist uh, destination attraction kind of area. So the short-term rental strategy here has become exceedingly uh, popular among real estate investors because um, of, you know, of the maneuverability of being able to um, you know, treat their, uh, their income or, or losses, I should say, uh, from those activities as non-passive. 
as long as they're staying underneath the seven days or less uh, criteria and not providing substantial services. Um, I've talked to a lot, um, I mean, more, more people than I could count probably at this point um, about that as an option, but because as many of the investors that, uh, that I know that have been doing it for 10, 15, 20 years, most of them had not heard of that uh, strategy yet um, and didn't realize how many different ways that that is treated compared to their long-term rentals. Um, so yeah, that, that's gotta be the number one go-to, at least I've, you know, heard, uh, people utilizing the last year or so. Nice. Nice. So I think this is going to be the final segment, if you will, of the show today. Um, so you mentioned before, you know, you, you work for REIT, you learned a lot of different things. You rub shoulders with a lot of different professionals in the, in the, you know, in the industry there. Um, was there any particular takeaways that you got, you know, from working at the REIT and your experience there that made you a better investor? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, the, uh, I think, of uh, I've heard this said in so many different, you know, circles and it was something that I wish I had learned earlier on in my investing career, um, is that you really, you, you make, make your money when you buy it right? Um, or not, not when you sell it. It's all about, you know, if, if you buy it right. Because, um, you know, you can, you can manage your property correctly, you can renovate it properly, however that is. But uh, ultimately, the biggest, you know, deciding factor on whether or not I think that you're going to be successful from cash flow and even from a tax standpoint um, is, is buying right. And uh, we worked very extensively on the due diligence process there. Um, we were typically buying 100 to 150 unit apartment complexes. So those analyses were, were pretty complex and extensive. Um, but, you know, that's, that's easily, you know, scaled down to even getting to the size of single family rentals. So um, that kind of pairs with uh, the, other, um, the other item is, is be patient, you know, and, and don't rush deals. Uh, I've heard a lot of people in my investor circles that have said, um, there's always another deal or there's always another house or another unit um, out there, you know? So uh, there's, there's no sense in trying to rush a deal, rush your diligence, you know, don't, you know, don't skip any steps um, with, with that process. And um, again, you know, trust, trust what the people are telling you, but, but verify, you know, go and actually get some boots on the ground at the property, um, you know, especially with the larger units or whatnot. Uh, where you can kind of get in there and do your own analysis on what repairs need to be done. So, yeah, I, I think that'd be probably the number number one thing they picked up there. Uh, especially, and of course, that was very prevalent on our minds because we're dealing with um, uh, investors' capital. So we really had that fiduciary responsibility um, to make sure we were maximizing the returns. Um, but same thing goes, obviously, if not probably more so, if you're doing that with your own money. <laughs> No, of course, of course, definitely due diligence is key, you know, um, and buying right, you know, if you listen, to, if you read any books, listen to any podcasts on buying, inv in buying investment real estate, it's, it's always, you know, buying the property right, not falling in love with the property and, and overpaying for it because you have to get a deal done. Um, and, uh, putting yourself, you know, getting yourself in the property at the right price is going to be key to, you know, to maximizing your overall investment return. So, uh, good to hear that that was a, a great takeaway there. Any any other takeaways from the REIT on the investment side? Um, ooh, any other takeaways from the REIT? Um, hmm. Yeah, definitely, you know, I, I would say talking to, you know, a 
tax advisor and potentially also just a, you know, getting a strong legal advice on that to be able to analyze the, um, the private placement memorandums and, and really getting an idea for the scope of what, you know, what that read is going to do. Tell you, I can tell you, you know, the one that I worked at had a very, very specific um, scope as far as what they would do with the investors' funds, uh, what types of properties they would seek out, even kind of the geographic areas that they that they were in. Um, so, you know, those those can get very, very specific. Um, but, you know, they I mean, they they can also be kind of general to allow the management group more flexibility and whatnot, too. So um, but and there, there's a lot that are out there. So I think being able to get some good advice on what exactly is this thing saying that they're going to do with my money is is pretty important. Um, but I know I really liked, I thought that they had a very good uh, scope laid out in, in the PPM that really designated exactly what territories and areas that we were going to even invest in. So, you know, if there's something that is, you know, if you have a market in mind or you're looking at diversifying your portfolio, because maybe, maybe you live on the East Coast, but you really want to invest in the West Coast or, you know, in the Rockies or something like that. Um, is is keep an eye out for something that aligns with your interests, and you can find that by really picking through the uh, the offer documents. But nobody likes reading legalese, so definitely have your <laughs> your tax advisors and your legal advisors get involved in that situation. Yeah, no, that is great advice, and I think that goes for anybody out there who's in, in kind of investing in syndicates um, or, or really, really to an uh, to an extent, a fund, even though it's not structured like mm-hmm. a REIT. There's still generally going to be a PPM. Uh, with those agreements, there's going to be certain uh, criteria and stipulations as to what the group is allowed to acquire. Because, for example, if you're investing in a blind pool, a blind a blind pool fund, for example, I mean, you're relying on the manager's expertise, the sponsors to go ahead and make those acquisition decisions on your behalf. So you just kind of want to make sure that you're you you know what you're getting into uh, before you go ahead and make that investment. So I thought that was that was great advice. Um, Last question, probably probably coming up on the last question here. In terms of the REIT, um, you know, on the on the on the accounting and tax side, you know, you ran the entire accounting and tax the entire accounting department. Excuse me. Was there anything specific that you took away um, that made you better accounting and tax professional from being on, you know, from 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 that experience? Yeah, definitely. You know, I I had the uh, the pleasure of working with a lot of different property management companies uh, because we we of course uh, outsource property management to local property managers, um, and just being able to kind of get to see how a lot of different um, managers liked to do things. Um, you know, as as far as like how how they were booking things in the software, or even just what softwares they liked to use and. Um, figuring what some of the pros and cons were between those um, different sets of software. But um, it, that really, it opened my mind uh, quite a bit more to like, okay, you know, what, what's important to them? What do they need? What kind of tools are they using to, to, kind of, to kind of get the job done? And which things are less important to them? Because if I'm identifying some of those things that are very important to me, though, is I want to make sure that I'm asking those questions of the property managers, just kind of knowing that they're going to look at things a little bit differently from a management company perspective than they are the investor perspective. Um, so I think that I got a good insight into how a lot of the different property managers kind of uh, like to operate. So um, that that was really great. And then, um, you know, figuring out how to um, combine all of that data into one system. 
um, had a, had a lot of, uh, fun challenges with that. Um, but, but yeah, it was, it was pretty great. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Looking forward to, to getting it out there. And I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of our investors. A lot of our listeners going to get a lot of value out of it. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes and with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.